More valuable than a piece of metal, it's the Smoke Signals podcast on Indians Baseball Insider. It's been a while since we did the last one. Uh, the last time we did it was before spring training started, so we're ready to kick off the new season. Uh, I'm Justin Latta. I'm going to be joined tonight by Willie Hood. Willie, thanks for uh, joining Smoke Signals and doing this podcast with me. Well, thank you, Justin, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's going to be a good discussion. Real quick, we'll just get some house cleaning stuff out of the way. Um, if you haven't heard yet, um, Innings Baseball Insider is not going to exist on 24-7 sports. As of April 1st, CBS decided that uh, they weren't going to renew the contracts, any of their baseball sites, which includes IBI and a couple other sites. I know um, Tigstown, which is the Tigers site, has already moved somewhere else. Uh, scouting baseball, I don't know how, how much longer they're going to stick around. I think they might keep that through the draft just because it's amateur focused, but um, as of right now, there's no home for IBI uh, beyond April 1st, or I should say March 31st. So um, if that changes, we'll let everybody know. Uh, we did post the announcement on Sunday. We're trying to work through, through some things to see if there's a potential chance to have it exist somewhere else. Um, but as of right now, we're kind of stuck where it's not going to exist. And we're going to hope for the best in the meantime. I want to thank everybody who, who did reach out and who did voice through support um, about potentially keeping it around in some format. So with that out of the way, let's actually get to the good stuff while we have lots of time because there's lots to get to. Uh, Rob Manfred just did another press conference, this time in Arizona, um, to talk to the Cactus League reporters about the uh, state of baseball and some other stuff. And he addressed the sign stealing scandal again, and it keeps getting uglier every time. Uh, I don't really want to get too deep into this because I think enough has been said. I, I do think it's pretty awful. I think it's pretty telling that every player not wearing an Astros uniform for the last three seasons um, is pretty upset with Rob Manfred. And that includes Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, and uh, some of the names, biggest names in the game. And then LeBron James also called him out today. And I think Jerry Seinfeld called him out a couple of days ago. So pretty much every non-Astros player slash employee um, – does not like Rob Manfred right now. And I, I can't say I disagree. What do you think? Well, I can't say that I blame him, to be honest with you. Uh, LeBron, I think, stated it well on Twitter. Uh, he basically said that he would feel that he'd been ripped off. And, and if I was a professional baseball player or a professional athlete myself, I think uh, knowing that the other team had some sort of advantage against us, I would feel ripped off. I would be extremely angry and irate, as LeBron said. I think he said it well, uh, coming from a a uh, person of his magnitude in Northeast Ohio. I, th I think he speaks for a lot of the Indians fans and, and for a lot of athletes overall. Yeah, it, it's really interesting when you get you start getting names like uh, LeBron James or Jerry Seinfeld to uh, call you out. Like that's I think that says something. I joked after that too. Well, Mike Trout obviously said something too, which is not good, but. I joked if someone can call Sidney Crosby, the rock or Taylor Swift. And I was just naming off. I don't know who, who's, you know, big time on the radio anymore. I don't really listen to the radio anymore. And um, I don't know who any big actors are, I guess, besides, I guess you can, I didn't watch the Oscars, so I don't know any of them either, but uh, I was just joking. You could get everybody else across the pop culture to speak out against Rob Manfred. And this thing can get really interesting. 
Yeah, I, I saw a, um, oh, he was, I forget what you call it, but I saw a thing on Twitter the other day getting signatures uh, from change.org, which I signed myself to remove <laughs> Rob Manfred. I, I usually don't participate in those at all, but you know, I, I did it playfully and, and retweeted that. Um, but I, I think it says something because somebody would do that and then you have a number of uh, people liking it, signing it, and retweeting it too. I think he's got a lot of uh, heat right now, deservedly so too. Yeah, I I didn't sign up. I did see that going around. I, I mean, I didn't sign only because I don't think I, I don't think any of those things have worked. I think people were signing those <laughs> uh, when Miles Garrett got suspended and they were trying to overturn it. And there's some other stuff that's gone on for it too. But um, and, and unfortunately, the only people that can hold Rob Manfred are accountable is the owners and. Um, yep. I guess outside of Jim Crane, uh, every owner probably is okay with him, or maybe they're not. I don't know. So it, it uh, sounds like there's been a gag order put in place, really, around baseball. So there's not a whole lot of criticism, criticism coming. And I'm surprised some of the larger names like Bellinger and Trout have spoke out. Um, it's telling that those are two of your bigger names, I think, too, Bellinger being uh, an MVP candidate and, and Trout himself, too. I consider Trout the face of baseball right now, and he's speaking out against the commissioner. That, that ought to tell you something, you know? Yeah, I can't remember. I was going to say, I can't remember the last time Mike Trout said anything controversial, but um, but I don't think that's ever happened. That's why you can't say the last time he said something controversial, because I don't think that's ever happened before. So I wouldn't really call yeah, it he's, controversial. He's Trout's very vanilla, very nondescript. You don't you don't hear anything negative from him, and and for him to chime out and, and or to chime in and to say something about it tells you where it's at. Um, as I said, I would be very frustrated and very angry if I was a professional athlete and thought these other guys had some sort of advantage. So, I, I think you hit it on the head. It's really down to the owners, and I don't think any sort of uh, social media uh, thing to get people to sign up and, and remove Manfred is going to have any effect. He probably never see it to begin with. So. Yeah. I'm sure this is going to make things great for the uh, upcoming CBA, which is in what, <laughs> the end of, at the end of 2021. I'm sure, I'm sure this will all blow over by then. They won't even remember this. I'm sure this won't be. Won't yeah. I, I'm not expecting baseball the first half of the year, to be honest with you at this point. I'm not either. I'm, I'm going to have to find something else to do from, I don't know, February to June of 2022. I'll, uh, I'll go on a cruise. I'll spend my money on in baseball tickets on a cruise or something, and I'll come back to There's the <laughs> If you want to watch a, a, a spring league football. Will that still be around in 2022? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> the AAFL only made it one. Here's the last time, so. Yeah. I don't think I'll be spending my money on there. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll just go to hockey games. I don't know. There uh, you go. Go to the Monsters or the Jackets. Yeah, for sure. I'm watching a little bit of Columbus right now, actually, because they're playing a pretty big game. But um, I guess that's a good transition. The Jackets have had so many injuries this year, and the Indians already yeah. have their first injury of the year. It's Mike Clevenger, who uh, is apparently out six to eight weeks with uh, surgery on a partial left meniscus tear, which is his landing leg. That puts him to return to game action about mid to late April, based on a six to eight week timetable. Uh, he injured it while he was doing a drill or stretching. I guess it wasn't a throwing activity, so that's interesting. 
Uh, kind of sounds like a freak injury. Are you worried at all about the lingering effects um, of this particular injury on his delivery? You know, he does have a kind of a high effort delivery and um, just how it affects his velocity. I know TJ Zuby wrote it at length about over at Sports Illustrated about how this could affect his velocity and what the ramifications are if his velocity does drop because of this. Uh, just his overall health. I mean, he hasn't had any connected injuries since he had Tommy John, what, four years ago, five years ago. Um, but he's had these little things pop up like the back and the line drive off the ankle or he twisted it or, and now this thing, are you concerned at all about this year or long-term with uh, Clevenger? You know, um, I read Brandon Bauer's take on it. Who's a doctor of physical therapy. And I think he says it best there where, you know, he doesn't really expect any uh, long-term concern for the knee. Um, I've had a, a meniscus, injury myself, nothing that required surgery, just a hyperextension. I wonder if that's what Clevenger did to injure the knee. Um, of course it was during stretches, so who knows? Um, but it just seems like these freak little odd things keep happening to him, uh, the back, the ankle, and then now this to start the year, um, makes me, makes me a little apprehensive to see him, uh, come back in, in April and uh, see how he's going to respond to a shorter, shorter timetable um, to get fired up with the season going. Yeah, guys who miss spring training is always tricky. I think it's worse for hitters than it is for pitchers because I think hitters have a gradual build to just getting their arm in shape to throw 100 pitches. I think they – I mean, he's gone through it before. I think he knows his body and he knows what it takes, and he's made a lot of adjustments over the years. I think for hitters, it's just about the number of bats you need, the timing, and just building up to that. I think volume is the only real thing for pitchers. I mean, Clevenger's not working on anything. He knows his delivery. He knows his pitches. I don't think there's anything in his arsenal that he really needed to to tweak or do whatever to make the team or, or position himself better than he was a year ago. So I don't think he's got to worry about that. I would just worry about the health of the knee. I mean, like you said, Brandon said that it's not – not a big deal that he should not have any lasting effects on it, but I would, you know, it's, it would be in the back of my mind, but I think overall I wouldn't worry about missing the time because he'll get his, you know, four or five starts, whatever it's going to be before he comes back to the rotation. They'll get him at the end of spring training possibly. And if not, he'll get his, his uh, starts in rehabbing Columbus and Akron before he comes back. So I think as long as they build the volume, correctly like they were going to in spring training he'll be fine um it does create a unique ripple on the on the pitching rotation though because i think before it was pretty planned out that zach fleasek aaron savali and adam and adam, uh, adam plucko were going to compete for the four and five spots in the rotation and now you would assume that all three of those guys are going to come north with uh, the indians come march 26th and oof, that's going to be a lot of fun um plucko was out of options so um, I kind of felt like he was going to make the rotation anyway. I kind of felt like the Indians for depth purposes, and this is why, because of the Clevenger injury, but um, I thought he was going to make the team anyway, and one of Plesak or Savali was going to go to Columbus because I don't think uh, Clevenger would clear waivers if the Indians decided to go in another direction. I think there'd be a pitching-hungry team out there to go get him, someone like Baltimore or even Detroit. Um, Thank you, What's that? I said, I think you meant Pluco there. You said Clevenger. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Pluco. Yeah, I I would think – I mean, Detroit's not really pitching starving because they've got a lot coming. But 
I would imagine somebody would have claimed him. So uh, I don't think this affects his spot, but uh, it is interesting that now you're going to have Plesak and Savali make the ro- rotation probably. And once Clevenger is healthy, they have to make a decision. I'm, I'm not sure which way they'll go on that. What do you think? You know, I, I agree with what you had to say. I think Pluko was going to make the team out of spring and they were going to see what he was going to do at first month or two and then rely upon the depth if they needed it. And when injuries hits, of course, you know, there'll be a few guys get banged up throughout the season. You don't expect Clevenger to go down this early and to have to bring these three, uh, police act Savali and Pluko up North. Um, so maybe it just gives these guys a little bit of early exposure. And, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about Clevenger for a minute there that, maybe a late start can be beneficial for him that, you know, he's got more, in, uh, more innings in that arm. He's a little bit fresher later into the season. Hopefully that uh, matters in August and September for the tribe. Um, right now it looks like Plesak and Savali and Pluko will all end up in the rotation though, which it really doesn't surprise me. I think they were keeping Pluko irregardless. Um, he was probably going to be the fifth man or maybe a long man, but I don't think there's any way that he claimed waivers to be honest with you. I think Baltimore or Detroit or some, some team with a big outfield would snatch him up right away. Yeah, or maybe the Angels, since they never really addressed their pitching staff outside of uh, <laughs> Dylan Bundy or Julio Tehran. But they didn't yeah. really address their pitching staff. Yeah, though that was just a couple of band-aids. <laughs> yep. That'll yeah, get them to mid-season. Yeah, I can't believe I mean, well, I don't know. Artie Moreno said no matter what they did, it didn't seem like they were going to be able to get Garrett Cole, but uh, they yeah. We're willing to spend on Anthony Rendon, but I guess that's another story for another uh, team in another stratosphere. But I think you have a good point about Clevenger not starting right away if they're close. I mean, that he, I don't want to say he ran out of gas last year. He did miss a lot of time, but his velocity did drop towards the end of the year. I'm not sure what the effects of that were. It was just maybe because he had, you know, the fluke injury and then the, the ankle kind of bothered him after he. I think what he tripped coming off the mound or something in Texas in his first start back. Yeah, but yeah, he could be, yeah, he could be a little bit fresher later in the year. That's that's a good point. And um, you know, he has thrown two hundred innings once before, so I don't think it's that much of a concern. And I, I know everyone said that the the pitching staff is the backbone of the of the team, and I don't think you know anybody would debate that. But some people were saying this is one place the Indians couldn't afford an injury because it's the most stable part of the team, but I don't know. I have a lot of confidence in the Indians pitching right now. Maybe it's recency bias, you know, with how well the young guys filled in last year and there's a lot of regression that could be coming. And I think that's true. But I mean, when you've got Logan Allen, who, by the way, I don't you know, everyone's in the best shape of their life and all that. And everyone feels great, but he did say that he made some mechanical tweaks over the off season and feels like he was quote 10 times the pitcher that he was before. Um, so you have Logan Allen, you have Jeffrey Rodriguez, who was, you know, pretty effective in, in filling in for Clevenger last year. Scott Moss is on the 40 and, uh, so are Sam Hentges and Tristan McKenzie. And reportedly Tristan McKenzie is, uh, looking very healthy and, and throwing the ball well in spring. So that's a good sign. So I know people said that this, this rotation has got to stabilize the team, but I think if there's one place they can afford an injury and it's not Clevenger or it's not any of the, you know, the big three, I would want to see it happen to, but. Um, because the injury is minor, because they have the depth and the quality of depth to back it up. Um, you know, it's better than last year where, you know, Lindor missed, what, the first uh, 15, 20 games and then 
Uh, I was also concerned Ramirez last year if he fouled that ball off his knee, he was going to miss time. So clearly you can see who is more important to the team. And, or at least, uh, you know, you have five pitchers versus one all-star shortstop and one all-star third baseman, I guess was my point. You know, I'm excited to see uh, what Logan Allen and, and Jeffrey Rodriguez and some of these young guys can do uh, when given the chance. I, I hadn't seen that about Allen. Um, I do follow him on Twitter and, and see what he has to say. Um, I thought he was an absolute steal coming over in the Bauer trade. Very excited to get him. And to add another um, look besides all righties, because he's a lefty, and then you got Moss, the lefty, too. Um, the, you know, probably mid-back end guys, but talented nonetheless. And then for the Tribe to get their hands on them and maybe make a few uh, mechanical tweaks, if you, as you said, with Allen. Um, excited to get him and excited to see what he can do. Uh, Rodriguez, uh, I don't know if he ends up as a, as a fifth starter long-term or if he ends up in the bullpen or, or what his role will be. Uh, my guess is he probably ends up in Columbus to start the year. Um, you know, Sam Hentges, another guy on the, on the 40 man roster that uh, you can't miss uh, six foot eight, all 245 pounds of him. That's a big mountain of a man um, had Tommy John, uh, I think about two years ago. And he didn't even start pitching until he was a junior in high school. So I think he's relatively raw. Um, as far as his development, I always thought he was somebody that's going to take a couple of years in, in AA and in A+, um, to get it together and then kind of hone his craft and find out who he is. Um, and, of course, you have Tristan McKenzie, who's virtually missed about 18 months of, of pitching. Um, all of last year and parts of 2018, um, high upside arm there. Uh, hopefully he is healthy and able to, to get out there on the mound and log some innings in Columbus. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him sometime this year in Cleveland. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they can turn Rodriguez or uh, Scott Moss or Tristan McKenzie into bullpen help late in the season um, just to, you know, kind of help with the three batter minimum rule and all that. I guess we can talk about that at some point too. Uh, there's a lot of options. So as long as Clevenger's injury is not serious, you know, it's they have enough depth, I think, to survive six to eight weeks. And then, and even if he comes back in early May, there's no reason to rush it. I think they have enough quality options to fill in. I mean, it does put a lot of importance on Bieber and Carrasco, you know. Uh, Bieber did have a career high in innings a year ago, but he also pitched 170 and 190 innings in his uh, other two years before this. So I think he's conditioned enough to do it. Um, you know, doesn't have a violent delivery and doesn't doesn't rely on throwing 97, 98 to get by. So I think he'll be okay. Um, but it is a short camp, so they can't bring him around slowly. It's a shorter spring training this year. Um, and, of course, you have Carrasco last year who, you know, I, I don't really know what to expect. You didn't even say he's healthy. He had a leukemia diagnosis. And, um, you know, he says he feels good. He didn't say they everything checks out physically with him. So. But, I mean, you just can't not monitor that. So, I guess while Clevenger's out, forever however long that is, uh, it's just important those two guys pitch to their full capabilities um, to make sure there's nothing lost. But those are two things to look out for, too, as well. Absolutely. Uh, I think, obviously, they're important there. And then uh, I would add that, you know, early March, we're probably going to get some snow outs or some rain outs, some bad weather. So, maybe – Maybe losing Clevenger isn't going to be so bad um, because they'll be able to just fill in uh, with these other guys and, and 
end up making up some of these games throughout the year, summertime and in the fall, uh, in the August and September of the year, probably when there's actually better weather for the tribe. Um, so maybe losing Clef doesn't matter as much as that early in the season. Um, back to Bieber. Bieber, he, I mean, he is what he is. You, you see who he is, he's a pitchability righty. He's going to come in and, and do his thing. I'm not really too concerned. I think he's built up to where he's going to continue to log uh, his innings as long as health warrants, you know. Um, and Carrasco, on the other hand, having the leukemia diagnosis, I'm I'm concerned. I, I don't know what it means for him long term. Um, seeing him diagnosed and then uh, watching professional wrestling a little bit, Roman Reigns, a, a professional wrestler, uh, announced that he had leukemia and been dealing it, with it for 11 years. You wouldn't think that by the performance and the level of an athlete that he is. So hopefully Frasco uh, can maintain that. And I'm sure the tribe will be monitoring him and, and they'll be doing blood tests and stuff to make sure that he's all right. So hopefully it's something that they're proactive with and seems like it was something that caught him by surprise. Uh, but they've worked on it and hopefully that they are able to just maintain now. Yeah, it definitely helps. They have something to look out for, and they have a baseline for, you know, physically what he's what he should be at. And then so far, they said he checks out, so that's good. And he was in camp early too. He, I think he went right down to Arizona after Tribe Fest was over. So uh, he's eager to get going, and uh, you know, a healthy and a motivated Carrasco is as good as any pitcher, you know, and as number two in any staff. I mean, his union's number three. Uh, we did have some new, I guess it's called news. It was at least some interesting comments. Uh, this is the first time I can remember any real substantial news on Lindor and in the Indians having contract extension talks since Brody Van, or not Brody Chernoff. I almost said Brody Van Wagen, and I'm pretty sure we don't want him around either. Um, Brody <laughs> Chernoff, which is Mike Chernoff's kid, was on the radio. What was it? Uh, 2017? I think he said it. he was on the radio with uh, Jim Rosenhaus and he said something about his dad negotiating a hundred million dollar contract with Lindor or something. He let it slip and we never really heard after that. Um, but that was like the last time I think we really heard any, any comments with any weight to them regarding his contract situation uh, until this over this winter, you know, Lindor said that he wants to be in Cleveland and, you know, we know he's going to say that he's good at PR. The Indians are not good at PR. We know this, at least the owners and owners are not good at PR. Uh, Chris Anthony's comments were about, you know, weighing the economics of baseball and um, how, how they would keep him long-term and also put a competitive team around him because he did note that Lindor wants to win and he wouldn't sign without knowing that um, the Indians could pay him and, pay to have a winning team around him so that certainly makes things interesting but I think those are real very obvious points um but it was I thought it was very newsworthy that both sides acknowledge that talks are kind of happening right now and there was like a loose kind of mention that Lindor didn't know how long he would let talks go into the season he said something about early March you know he didn't say how long it's fair um but it does sound like there is a, a deadline of spring training to talk about this. And obviously they won't talk about it again after. And I think if he gets to next year, they won't revisit it. But um, what are your thoughts on a possible deal or, you know, the situation um, of these talks effects on Lindor or the team or his status overall? 
you know, uh, Lindor is great at handling PR. I, I wish he could give the Indians some advice how to handle the situation. <laughs> and I don't know they would take it, but uh, he's done a great job saying what he should say. He's put himself in this position. He's in the catbird seat. He's making all the calling all the shots right now, you know. Um, I think uh, Chris Antonetti, Turnoff are both probably sweating bullets uh, when it comes down to trying to get him. And they're feeling the pressure. They have to. And I would. But the thing is, is, is this possible for this team? And, and are they going to keep the team competitive around him? Um, can you tie up 25, 30% of your payroll on one player? I don't know. You know, maybe it depends on the new TV deal whenever the current one expires. Maybe that is the bridge that gets them there. Um, I, I don't know when that one expires. The, I think it's 2023, 2024, something like that. Uh, so it, it's correct. What is it? 2023, you're correct. Okay, so it, it's within the next few years. So that to me, you know, maybe they can uh, bridge into that and with the expectation that they'll get a, a larger deal. I think I saw today that the the Royals have a larger deal than the Indians do right now. And I think that's something that's hindered the Indians ability to make the signings and free agency. Uh, it's not all about fans that show up. It's, it's about, um, you know, the economics of the game. And a lot of it comes through TV. The Indians have been one of the fifth most watched teams in baseball over the last few years. Uh, it seems like they're, they've getting more fans on TV or, or watching them on TV than they are in, in the stadium at times. So, um, the news, it's exciting to hear that they're talking with Lindor. Uh, we have a small window, if we're honest. It's February the 18th. If he's saying early March, we got two, three weeks, and that's a lot of hammering and chiseling to get a contract knocked out. And I just don't know if it's going to get done, to be honest with you. I would love to see it. I would love to hear it as a fan. Um, I think a lot of it has to tie to the TV deal and where the franchise goes from here too, though. That's a fantastic point. I didn't even, I didn't even think about the TV deal in, in relation to that. Um, I know I've said it on Twitter. I think multiple people have said it on Twitter, how bad their TV deal is. And if you're going to criticize ownership for anything, it's definitely the effects of the TV deal. And I think that's a big four. I mean, they, they did lose their, um, you know, partners and ownership with uh, Sherman, you know, buying the Royals. He left. That's a big um, hit on the payroll. I think there's definitely a correlation there, but the TV deal is absolutely right. I mean, it's pretty bad when the Royals and the Tampa Bay Rays are getting more money from the TV deal than you are. <laughs> um, and, the Ra and the Rays, I think, deserve it. They're a good team. It's just unfortunate they don't have a lot of people come to their off their stadium. And I know part of that has to do with uh, location and some traffic issues, but I, I, you know, I, I don't know what their TV ratings are, but obviously they aren't as good as the Indians. The Indians have fantastic tv ratings and they can't capitalize on it so it is interesting that you know maybe so let's see Lindor's a free agent at the end of next year if you could maybe backload backload some kind of deal you know not pay him as much the first couple years um and then negotiate a new tv deal and then roll that money into the back half of this contract that's interesting and that's the big thing about baseball now is I, you know, everyone harps on attendance and yeah, the Indians attendance bites, um, you know, no matter how you feel about the Dolans, the team or whatever, the attendance just isn't good. And 
But the one thing I will say is most people claim that um, most teams are making money off TV rights over attendance, and that might be true. Um, and if that's the case, then you can see where the Indians TV deal is uh, a hindrance, or at least they're allowing it to be a hindrance um, on how they spend money on players. So it is interesting to see how that ties in. I, I will also point out, not to be dark, and I don't want to get deep into this, but um, the TV deal expires in 2023, the same year that their stadium lease um, at Progressive Field also expires. I'm not trying to you know, point anything out here, but it was an interesting thing that came up, I would say. And there hasn't been any talks about uh, extending it, although they do have two, or they have four or five-year options on the lease. And I, I don't know whether or not the state same would be paid off, but I just wanted to, to throw that out there that those two things could uh, align. That's a, a really interesting point. It's something that I kind of tiptoed around on Twitter um, several months ago is that, you know, if Dolan does sell, because there's so many uh, fans who have chimed in and called him cheap and said they're not renewing tickets and, and all of that and, and so on. I, I really don't want to get into all of that, but um, what if they bring in a new ownership group? Uh, I'll just use Mark Cuban for an example. And let's, let's say he wants to move the team to San Antonio or something or, or to Charlotte. Uh, there's some great sites out there that would love to have baseball um, and probably would draw what the Indians are doing. And, and I think the excitement of a new team, new franchise, new logos, all of that, the, the owner's going to make bank right away to me if, if a situation like that plays out. Um, hopefully, uh, the tribe stays in Cleveland long-term. Um, I'd be heartbroken if they leave, to be honest with you. I think a lot of us from Northeast Ohio would. But uh, I'm looking at uh, the payroll for next year, and there's $23 million guaranteed on, on contracts right now, and that's not with ARB numbers or anything um, 23 million, 14 million, and then 3 million guarantees for the next three years um, and, and descending right there from 23, 14 to three. So 23 million on the books for next year without any ARB raises tells me there's some payroll flexibility depending on who all is going to be up for ARB. Um, obviously yeah. Lindor would be uh, in his third year next year. And I mean, 17.5 million with, with uh, incentives this year, he's he's going to make a, a pretty good chunk of change next year too. So I, I would say just off the top of my head, 25 million. And, you know, you're tying up a quarter of the payroll right there. If they're at a hundred million, you know, um, wonder if maybe a TV deal is the way that this works out and it could be all of the stars aligning that, Hey, maybe this TV deal comes in and they're able to double the numbers. I see, teams like the Dodgers, and I, I don't know the specifics on theirs, $300 million, and I think the Cubs is $200 million. That's an entire team payroll before you're talking about the revenue from selling jerseys and, and memorabilia and ticket sales and all of that, concessions. Um, so there's – what's that? Yeah, sponsorship, yep. Yeah. That is a good point. Which I think um... – I also wonder too, you know, if you if you do sign Lindor and you do negotiate a new TV deal, um, being able to have that player to market, you know, and, and say and, and leverage that in a TV negotiation that the uh, you know you do have Lindor locked up long term, that could help. 
Uh, and it's an interesting test case too. That you mentioned that next year's payroll looks pretty uncommitted, and, and Lindor can make twenty five million. Uh, so you know, you say next year's payroll is a hundred million. I know what is it ninety next year or this year. So if it gets to hundred next year because of Lindor and he makes twenty five million, that'd be the first time the Indians committed a quarter of their payroll to one player. And that's like you said before, that's difficult. There's there's a lot of evidence out there that says that doesn't work, no matter how big your payroll is, um, especially to the Indians' point because they don't have big payrolls. And that's something they've been very against doing. So that'd be an interesting test case that next year, if the Indians payroll is 100 and the last year of arbitration, if Lindor is here and he's making a quarter of the of the the payroll, I guess that's kind of maybe your you know on offshoot test case of can it work? Uh, but I would think there's some leverage in there for, you know, TV. If you, if you do have long-term, it's easier to sell that your ratings are going to stay the same because people want to watch Francisco Lindor. Also at the same time, I think this is a total conspiracy theory and I don't want to, you know, speculate. I don't want to go into conspiracy theories too long, but I also do think that um, there's value in, if the Dolans were interested in selling, which we know they talked about it with Sherman taking over, um, if they do have Lindor locked up long-term, that, you know, you have some market value. The franchise is already worth over a billion dollars, and you have one of the top five players in baseball locked up long-term. There's a lot of resale value in that as well, just like there would have been, you know, for, you know, LeBron James on the Cavs and, and selling them in that regard. I think that's another factor that weighs in. Uh, just having that marquee player. He's a top five player in the game to me. Um, I think Fangraphs has him projected right in the top five and as far as war goes. But as far as his personality, he is being a bilingual leader of the team, just a lot of marketability there. Um, he can le- reach a lot of people. Um, the smile says it all when he's playing on the, on the field, you know. Uh, he loves what he's doing. It's evident when he plays. He's having a good time. Um, he says the right things. He does the right things. I mean, he's, he's going to be one of the guys that baseball should really be marketing alongside Mike Trout. Um, and I think uh, if Dolan could lock him up, I, I don't know what it looks like. I, I have concerns that it's not going to happen. This might be a last ditch effort, you know, um, let's take this approach, offer him a, a contract. Now we've made an honest effort and then, take it into the season and where, see where it goes from here. You know, it could be the deadline. They get an offer they can't refuse. Um, I'd like to see him retire in Indian. I know it probably doesn't happen. Um, but I, I start wondering what kind of contract would be on the table for him too. You know, is he talking three years? Is he talking eight years, 10 years? What does he want to do? Um, Maybe he signs a deal like Aaron Otto got. You know, I think it was around 260, uh, 260 million dollars. I think it was over eight years. That put him in about the 35 million range. That puts him right up there as far as um, a comp with all the other players who have signed those type of deals. Uh, then my concern goes back to, well, can they can they afford this? Can this fit with the roster makeup? And how do you build a team around that? You know, and I think they're trying to thread a needle, and I don't know if you can, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would probably say Arnado's deal is a little bit south of that. I, I think uh, you're talking eight, three hundred, and I don't see him signing anything short term to be here. I think either you're either signing on for the rest of your career, you know, for I guess eight. I guess you could play more in eight years, but 
either signing on long term or you're not. And I, I suppose you can give them some opt outs too, but I don't know if that really benefits them a lot because um, whenever those opt outs would kick in, you're talking, um, you know, approaching your 30s, and you're also talking about the CBA being an issue too, and and not really wanting to opt out because you, there's a lot of uncertainty around what's going to happen now that Lindor will be hurting for money if there's a lockout, but um, it just could affect his overall market value. So I would think if it's not eight, eight or eight, 300, I don't think it's getting done. I think that's, you know, his agent knows what he can get on the market. Lindor knows what he can get on the market. And I think, I don't think he'll, I don't want to say he'll cave the pressure because that's not who Lindor is, but, you know, there was some regards about Mookie Betts. I actually wanted to talk about this, but it, I think we have so much to talk about. There's really no point right now. We can maybe get into it later, depending on how things go. But there was talk about Mookie Betts having pressure from the union to go to free agency for the good of the union because of how much he could get and just what he means to the union. And there could be some of that at play for Lindor as well. But overall, I think he'll do what he thinks is best for him in terms of his family, his money, and his uh, chances to win. But I, I wouldn't rule that out and being a factor as well. Yeah, I have to think the, the players' union is probably putting a little bit of pressure on him to maximize his contract. Um, in fact, he's made comments in the past, if I remember correctly, that you know he has to do what's best for the young players following in his mm-hmm. steps. And, and I took that to mean that he has to max his contract value to – to um, be equivalent as one of the highest paid players in the league, as he should be. Um, And he's kind of setting the stepping stones in place for the players that are coming in behind him. So I I get that portion of it. Um, You know, I, I think ultimately he'll probably do what he thinks is best for him. And I just don't know if the tribe and and Lindor will come to an agreement, to be honest with you. Um, I hope he does. Uh, He's, face of the franchise and he would be with just about any team you know so there's a lot of teams that would love to have him and a lot of teams that would pay him handsomely um there is one factor i i'm curious i don't know how it would factor into a contract but tax rates um tax rates in new york and california being higher than they are in ohio um i wonder if they can get a, a bit of a discounted deal um maybe not so much as far as actual pay uh, per year, but maybe the deal looks a little bit smaller, but but very similar. Uh, I know that's factored in for some of the guys in the past, and you know, it may not may not for uh, Lindor at all. He may just be looking, hey, I want I want this number, and, and that's the number that gets me to sign. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to his his number and his agent's number, and uh, where he has the best chance to win and how that matches up. That's what it'll come down to, and. Yeah, I, I would – I don't even know if I'd give it a 5% chance of happening in Cleveland. But like we started this conversation, I would say it's just the first time we've heard any sort of comments about, you know, a last uh, an effort to, to sign a contract, at least publicly. So that was interesting, and, and, you know, at least there's something to talk about on that end. And, um, you know, he does want to be here, or at least he's going to say that, or he's interested in signing here if, if – we didn't get to the right number. Uh, As he should. Yeah. <laughs> he says all the right things. <laughs> yeah, like you said, he could definitely give the Dolans a, a lesson in PR. Maybe, if he, if, like you said, if they took that, I think that would require them 
Phoenix having to pay him more. Uh, he was their PR guy in there, you know, all world shortstop. Uh, the Indians did. Uh, they should have nobody can take some lessons right now. I mean, he Why? comes out and he says all the right things. Um, have somebody prep you before you go out and talk. And I think Lindor has been prepped. Yeah, plenty. Uh, one guy that did sign this week is, or I guess last week, uh, is Domingo Santana. That was going on for a little over a week, talking about if he was going to sign and a physical after that whole thing got reported. So he got what looks like one year, one and a half million dollars, which is incredibly cheap. Um, and then the deal could be two years worth seven and a half million if all things work out well for Santana. He does have two years of club control left before he can be a free agent. So he's officially on the roster. The Indians designated Andrew Velasquez for assignment uh, when they added him. So the roster is still at 40. Um, so now you have a situation where Domingo Santana and, and Fernando Reyes, who essentially have been DHs who have been forced to play the outfield most of their career, um, now having to split time. Both of them have said, or at least Francona said, both are more comfortable as right fielders. So they're both going to play left and right to see if they can figure out that situation. And then Francona said the board is pretty crowded between Mercado, Reyes, Santana, Luplo, Delano DeShields, Greg Allen, Jake Bowers, Bradley Zimmer, Daniel Johnson, and Tyler Naquin, although Naquin doesn't really factor in for a few more months because of his injury. Um, same with Daniel Johnson because he's going to go to AAA no matter what. But I thought the I thought signing Santana was good. Um, he's projected by Zips to what, what did I see? 111 OPS plus this year, where Reyes is 114, Luplo's at 101. So by Zips projections on offense alone, he is uh, projected to be the Indians' second best hitting outfielder, which you know they definitely needed. I think for me, I was not looking forward to seeing Jake Bowers. Um, be handed three to 400 at-bats and unfortunately with, with Jordan Luplo. I wanted to see more of Jordan Luplo this year because he had a track record in the minors of hitting right-handers and he crushed lefties last year. So I think he deserved more chances. Um, you know, obviously everyone's fine with Mercado and then Reyes, who was going to play some right field and there was one more outfield spot, potentially, you know, some other guys that could have factored in there. But, you know, now one of Reyes or Santana is going to DH, and the other is going to play right or left field. Uh, he raises the floor a little bit. I, I personally think offensively, aside from the strikeouts, uh, he's a better fit than Puig just because there's more power there. I think there's a little – I don't want to say consistency, but I think there's more upside um, in his overall offensive profile than there was with Puig. And the only thing you're going to you know, hurt yourself on is the strikeouts and the fact that he can't play the – the field, um, but Santana's a little more reliable in terms of uh, what he's going to bring to the park day to day, and um, you know how his how he runs the, runs the, the bases and uh, how he fits in the clubhouse. I think is a little better, so he's a better fit from that standpoint. But he really does crowd the outfield situation. So, what were your thoughts on on Santana signing and, and the fit with uh, the current outfield structure? Well, I, I went into it thinking Reyes would probably end up being the DH, but after seeing him go out in the Dominican over the winter and, and seeing the weight that he's lost, it's been encouraging. I know he was out shagging balls in the outfield, uh, I think, on a daily basis. Um, he's dropped 18, 18 pounds. He looks like he's in great shape. 
Uh, saw a little bit of video yesterday of him hitting and he was hitting bombs to center field. Um, as far as Domingo Santana goes, you know, I'm, I'm excited to bring him in uh, cautiously optimistic with him. I, what you see is what you get. He's not a uh, much of an outfielder. I would prefer that he retire his glove and just let him DH and pinch hit. Um, maybe if he does play in the outfield, put him out and left, bring him out sixth or seventh inning. If you have a lead and replace him with the shields. Uh, to me, that would be the perfect and optimal role for the Shields. Uh, minimizes that bats, but let him use his speed and his ability to, to make plays out in the outfield and use him on the bases late in the game. Uh, pinch runner, uh, substitute defensively. Uh, I think he can bunt too. So he brings a little bit himself uh, to the table. But Santana, I, I looked at the splits on Santana, and he's about even. I think it's 265, 263 righty lefty so he's about even it doesn't really matter if he's facing uh right or left-handed uh pitchers i'm looking at him and i'm thinking you know hopefully they can get what the the brewers got from him in 2017 when he hit 30 home runs i'm hoping for a healthy 25 maybe 20 and then um if he can produce offensively somewhere in the lineup the bottom half of the lineup you know he's lengthening the lineup you bring in somebody to replace him if he is out in the outfield or if you, if you put him at DH and I think he probably, honestly, I think he probably spends most of his time at DH with Reyes playing either right or left. Um, of course, Reyes, uh, he's more comfortable in right. So if he wants, if that man wants to be in right, I, I'd probably let him play in right until he proves he can't play right right now. Um, that's what you got spring training for, you know, let them figure that out there. Uh, yeah, Francona saying the the outfield is crowded. Well, he's not telling us anything we didn't know. You you got ten roster spots for all of these outfielders. You know, I think Mercado should be in in center field. Um, Reyes, I think it will be in left or right, and, and then Santana should be your DH. Luplo, I was hoping that he would get more at bats because of his track record. Um, the Shields, I've said when they acquired him, you know, I not a big ad, but it's an incremental. Uh, addition to the team that makes the team a little bit better because he can field, he can play defense. If they use him right, he's a good add to the team. He doesn't need to be an everyday player. He doesn't need to get 400, 500 at bats. Uh, other guys like Greg Allen, he's probably going to uh, toil away in, in Columbus would be my expectation. I saw some video of Jake Bowers hitting, um, earlier this off season and he looks like he's added some, some upper body weight. So hopefully that, that uh, translates on the field. Uh, we shall see um, Brad Zimmer miss all of last season. Uh, he's retooled that swing. I'm curious how he does tools galore. I thought he was going to be the face of the franchise at one point when he came up and, and injuries and um, ineffectiveness have kind of slowed that down. Daniel Johnson, a uh, I think you said he's going to end up back in Columbus. I agree. They probably plug him down there, let him get some more experience, and we may see him April, May, probably May, June, sometime at that time. Uh, but the, the wild card in all of this is the fact that they didn't put Tyler Naquin on the 60-day DL. Uh, makes me curious where he really is. Uh, if I remember correctly, the ACL injury that he has, it's a nine-month recovery. Uh, that would put him coming back late May or into June. And 
by the talks of it, uh, he's eager to go. He wants to get out on the field, and, and I'd be apprehensive, to be honest with you. He's had several injuries. I think he needs time to heal. Uh, I don't think they should rush him. I'm concerned that he will get rushed out there on the field because he feels good, um, but I don't want to see him with another long-term injury and another surgery or something. Um, but I find it really curious that they didn't put him on the 60-day DL and instead chose to designate uh, Andrew Velasquez. Yeah, that was that was a little odd. I, I didn't think that – I thought the obvious move was to put Nathan on the 60-day DL, like you said, but clearly uh, they might think he's closer than – uh, the timetable says, you know, he is running, I guess, a little bit, which is good. Uh, I also thought there was a chance that Greg Allen wasn't going to survive that Santana signing either because, to me, the Shields and Greg Allen are kind of redundant. I don't know why you need both on the roster yeah. and the fact that Allen's a switch hitter, but, you know, they're both guys who are good defenders, don't hit much, have a lot of speed, and are basically going to be your defensive replacement for um, – whoever's in the outfield between Reyes and Santana, you know, when you get to the seventh inning, if you're winning pretty good chance that one of those two is coming out of the game. Uh, I don't think, I don't think there's going to be a lot of situations outside of injuries that both are going to be in the outfield on the same day. I can, I could probably put some good odds. In That's highly the only way I see that is if uh, Carlos Santana's uh, kind of taking a day off at DH the only way I can see both of them out in the outfield. And, and I would be surprised if they even allow that to happen. I think they'd give one of the two of them the day off too, or, or just bring them in as a late game sub or something, but I don't see both of them out in the field at the same time. And, and uh, talked about that a little bit on Twitter saying that uh, you could always alternate the two of them. Uh, you knowing that you're going to have one kind of weak link out there at a time. Uh, you can maybe minimize the damage and, with Mercado's range and the Shields and some of these other guys, um, maybe they can help make up for it. They've got some foot speed in center field, so uh, maybe maybe they make up for the uh, lack of defense on one of the corners there. Yeah, with Mercado in center or the Shields, if he plays center, um, at least you have two. You have one. You have no matter who, which one of them plays center on any given day. Um, you know, you have a, a strong defensive outfielder flanking them and can make up for some of those inefficiencies. And like you said, I, I'd like to see both of them in left field because I would think left field is the easier spot in, in progressive field, at least, um, to play defensively. There's, you know, a little might until you learn the wall, I guess. I mean, I know Michael Brantley played it so well for years, but I mean, it took him some time. But when you learn to play that wall, it's easier to play than right field just because you have that benefit there. Um, I'm really interested to see it. I, I'm glad that Francona did mention that um, all the, all those guys are going to get time. Like, you know, he said Reyes and Santana are going to play left and right. Lupo is going to play all three positions, even center, the Shields, and Mercado will play a couple. Craig Allen's going to play all three. Um, it sounds like Jay Bowers is going to play left field a lot early on. He's not really worried about first base. I don't know where they're going to find that bats for Zimmer in spring, to be honest with you, or Daniel. I mean, I guess it's going to be late. It's going to not going to be. Another thing you look at too is how guys do in spring training. And obviously they're not going to make decisions based on stats, but you do look at the quality of opponents. That's one of my favorite things on baseball reference is they have, you know, that quality of opponent tracker where in spring at bats, they're, they rate 
based on the kind of a batch you're having. Are you facing guys who have been the majors? Are you facing guys in AAA below that? And they have a uh, numbers built into that. So there's like a, I think it's a one through five or whatever. Um, so you could see Zibrick get a lot of at-bats with Johnson against, you know, other teams, AAA, AA guys. And that doesn't put him on a good track to make the team. And um, I'll be interested to see what Bowers does in spring training, how they feel about him, because that's another guy that could factor him. He's also not a great outfielder. At least he wasn't last year. And uh, the idioms were, I think, a little upset at Zimmer for not playing winter ball. I mean, he said he, for his body, he needed the winter off. And maybe he's right. Um, but like McKenzie, he just hasn't played a lot over the last couple of years. And like you said, he, he changed the swing. He changed his stance. He needs repetition with that. And I just don't see where he fits in this roster going forward. Um and and it's going to be crowded in AAA, and, and it's going to be awfully hard for him to prove himself this spring. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at ten guys, and there's really eight nine spots there, and, and then other guys that they have in the minors too that they've invited to camp that are probably going to end up down in Columbus too. Uh, Connor Maribel and, and and a few other guys. Kai Tom. Uh, yeah, Kai Tom. Um, these guys need a chance at some point. It, it's a balancing act. You're trying to win, um, but they've got a log jam. They've have to clear. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody ends up getting traded at the end of spring. Maybe somebody loses their center fielder to an injury, and and the tribe ends up trading the shields away, or, or probably more like a, a Greg Allen or, or Brad Zimmer. Give them a chance somewhere else. I'll give them a new start. Maybe they can get back some international funds or, or a a young reliever or something down in the minors that will help the tribe later on. You know, uh, I think that's probably the way to go. They'll, they'll bring in everyone, see what they do. Um, but I think there's five or six guys that have a legitimate shot. And then there's a few other guys I feel like they're going to be destined to end up in Columbus uh, just out of sheer volume. Yeah. Not a lack of, of guys to play at least. Um, so we kind of touched everything on the outfield. Um, some end, odds and ends here at the end. Uh, Pakoda, which, you know, baseball prospectuses uh, win projection system, um, had the Indians 86 wins last week. The Twins at 93, uh, and it was 87 wins in the American League to make the wild card for the Indians. Uh, Pakoda projections suggest they're not going to make the playoffs, um, you know, unless MLB decides to implement their new weird playoff proposal this year which i don't think is going to happen i don't really have any strong thoughts on that other than it's the, the leaked idea was not my favorite i'm all for new ideas and, and changing things and trying to um just be more interesting uh, but i didn't like the proposal and i don't i think the only reason it got leaked is because baseball was taking so much heat over this astros thing that they wanted something good to come out like, Hey, we're considering playoff changes. We're interesting. We're talking about stuff other than just having. That's what, yeah. That's what I call a classic deflection there is they put out, put out something else to, to raise the ire of fans, uh, get fans attention on something else. And it didn't last long before we had more comments about the Astros and, and more stuff out there with them. And it just seems like it fills my timeline every day. I'm about to mute all of that. <laughs> Uh, I'm just tired of hearing about the Astros situation. I, I say, you know, with all of that, I, I'm not interested in the new playoff proposal. Didn't like it. Um, I look at the tribe. They were saying 86 wins. Um, of course, being a fan, 
of a team. Uh, I'm guessing is what it really is. It's an educated guess. I haven't sat down and added up all of my own projections or anything yet, but I'm going to guess 92 wins for the Tribe. Uh, I think the division is going to be tight between them and the Twins. Um, I don't know if the Tribe wins it this year or not, but I sure hope that they do. Yeah, I I haven't really sat down and looked at everything yet either. Um, I think just with some regression, but also, you know, not having half a season where Jose Ramirez is basically below replacement level, um, not missing Lindor for 20 games. Um, I think having Reyes for a full season makes a big deal. I think Domingo Santana is going to help. A full season of Oscar Mercado is going to help. Uh, Cesar, as much as I like Jason Kipnis, Cesar Hernandez uh, is an upgrade based on you know 2017 and 2019. Even with some regression baked into the rest of the stuff, like maybe some of the pitchers, maybe Santana doesn't have as good a year in 2020 as he did in 2019. Maybe Roberto Perez even takes a step back offensively. Um, I think the bullpen will be better. So I, I would really be care. I would be comfortable in seeing them repeat 93 wins, to be honest. I think that's doable to repeat what they did last year, considering how many injuries they had and, like I said, Ramirez was basically below replacement level for the entire first half. And then they didn't have him for um, almost a month at the end of the year. And they were playing Ryan Flaherty, which I don't want to relive and, and talk about anymore because you can see my <laughs> voice just changed when I said that. Um, I think uh, uh, all those I things. I can almost feel year. tears running down your cheek. Oh, it's not tears. It's it's more like my, my, uh, my face is going red, not from embarrassment, from anger. <laughs> One of my least favorite developments. Of, I mean, it was a bummer to see Kluber not pitch again. Uh, it was just, it was a bummer to see Ramirez get hurt and then Clevenger get hurt and for Kipnis to get hurt and have to spend the year on the IL. But I think my least favorite development in 2019, aside maybe even, I guess aside from the Carrasco situation, uh, was watching yeah. Ryan Flaherty play meaningful baseball. That was the most disappointing thing. And if that doesn't have to happen again in 2020, I, I like I said, I feel comfortable with the Indians repeating 93 wins. Um, does that get him in the playoffs? I, I really don't know. I mean, you have Minnesota, who I think can win 100 games again. I know it's a lofty projection. I think they could, just because they have a lot of, a lot of good hitters. Um, you know, I don't trust their pitching. But, you know, the Astros should still be pretty good. The Angels will be better. Oakland's always sneaky. Um, the Yankees are going to be probably the best team in the league. And... Tampa Bay is probably going to be a playoff contender, and, and Boston might cause trouble. I don't think they're going to be good enough, but it's going to be a crowded field. I mean, the AL is kind of open for the most part, but it's going to be crowded for a playoff spot. So 93 wins could get them in. I thought it would last year, but it didn't. And actually, a uh, good note on that. I'm sure you already knew this, actually, but um, only twice in the wild card era um, has a 93-win team not made the playoffs in the American League, and both times it was the Indians. It was the Indians in 05, and it was the Indians last year. So, I don't know, if they won 93 games the third time and didn't make the playoffs, then I guess that's the new baseline, maybe, despite the fact there are two wildcard teams now. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard that before. Um, you know, I I don't think we can forget about the White Sox. They made a lot of additions. I don't think they're there yet, but they've got some, some young pitching coming up and um, you know, a year or two from now, they may be the team in the, in the central. I don't know. It depends on what happens with Lindor and 
how all of that plays out. Um, but right now, I, I think it's probably down to the Indians and, and the Twins for the Central with the White Sox pulling a, a close third there. You know, and the thing is, the Tribe lost the uh, division series with the White Sox last year. You have to win in the division to win the division. You know, it, common sense approach to me. Those are games they have to win this year. It, it's going to be a dogfight. I don't expect it to be easy. Um, there'll be some regression for, from some young guys, but there'll also be some guys who, who break out and show, hey, uh, like Reyes, you know, close to 40 home runs. I wouldn't be surprised if he hit 40, 45 this year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he he may uh, mash them over the wall there in Mercado. Maybe he hits 15, 20 home runs this year. Um, gets a lot more comfortable with uh, himself in the lineup. I, I'm hoping we don't see some regression from him. If we do, you know, move him down the lineup, um, take some pressure off of him, and they've got some other options there in the outfield. But, um, you know, I, I don't see 86 wins. If everything goes in the tank early and, and maybe Lindor gets traded, maybe they win 86 as they're projecting. I've seen several projections that have the tribe. I think the best that I saw was 88. Wow. Um, I'm going to say 92. Yeah, 80, 86, 80. I mean, I could, I could see the, all the ranges. Like, yeah, 86 could happen. I could see with the regression and, um, you know, if, if Polisak or Savali or whoever else is in the rotation does have some issues, if Mercado regresses and for what it's worth, Sips, um, doesn't like Mercado this year. They only like him for an 81 OPS plus. You know, if some things do go bad, I can see 86 wins. Um, I guess projecting 86 means that was the most common outcome uh, in their Monte Carlo systems that they run with this uh, formula. I, I don't see it going too much lower than that. Uh, I mean, just remember, a lot of things did go wrong for them last year, and they still won 93 games. Like you said, they did lose yep. the season series to the White Sox, so it's not like they feasted on beating the crap out of the White Sox, uh, Tigers, and Royals. They just feasted on beating the crap out of the Royals and Tigers, which they still should do this year. So even if they do lose the season series to the White Sox, it's not like they are giving back wins they had last year in that series, and the White Sox are going to be tough. Um, I don't know. I, I, I still think a lot of things went wrong last year. I still think that the roster going into April, or I guess technically March 26th, if they actually play that game, um, is better this year than it was last year. Uh, even even with, you know, that makes sense because Lindor's healthy, like, you know, or for now, whatever. Um, going into the year, you knew. And Ramirez coming back. Um, seeing Ramirez go through that slump and then taking the ball off of the knee and then the Hammond injury. And then coming back and just hammering a couple of home runs. And I think it may have been against the White Sox, if I remember right. Um, That was so encouraging to see him come back strong and and hitting for power, too, after the Hammond injury. So I I have high hopes for Ramirez to start off strong and maintain this year. If he does that, this team, I think, wins 90 games easy. I I think they'll win 90-92. I could see as many as 95. Yeah, I would agree. I I think a lot lot of bad things happened last year. I think that they'll get a little bit better luck, you know, hopefully the Clevenger injury isn't a sign of things to come, but you would think that they're due for a little more luck this year, even if they do have some regression in the mean for some guys. Uh, you did mention before and, we, we, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
and the offense has to be better. I mean, <laughs> when you, when you're running out Stamets and and Max Moore off at the beginning of the season, um, you know, when Lindor was down, I don't think they have that problem this year. Um, God forbid that injuries bite like they did last year and, and crazy things happen because it seemed like it, it was just one uh, tail after another. I felt like I was watching a, a daytime television show or something uh, with all of the different things that were going on. Um, hopefully everything just remains the same, remains relatively calm. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be things, but hopefully the depth is there. And I think that's what they've built this team around is, is uh, fortifying the 40 man roster, making sure there's more talent available. And uh, I definitely trust the front office. They've made some true trades. So hopefully they can uh, make some additions come June or July that keep them not only, um, in the division race, but hopefully put them in, in the World Series contention. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I will say the Indians will probably be too good. I think they'll be within a playoff spot, even if it's not, if it's not the division, it's the wild card race come July 31st. So I don't, I don't foresee Lindor being traded. I mean, obviously the caveat is they have to be definitely out of the playoff race, and I think they'll be with, within well enough range of a wild card spot where they're not going to trade Lindor. Um, so I'm kind of dismissing that. I know everyone's saying there he's going to get moved this year, but I think they're going to be too good. And I don't, I don't see the Indians trading Lindor. I know everyone wants to mention like, Oh, they traded Trevor Bauer and they were in a playoff spot. Well, you have five starting pitchers and Bauer wasn't pitching that well, to be honest. And the Indians were also fed up with some of Trevor Bauer's stuff. Um, you have one all world shortstop and nobody is fed up with Francisco Lindor other than, you know, American league central pitchers, maybe. So, uh, I don't foresee that happening unless the Indians are five plus games out of a wild card spot. I've, I've seen and heard the opposite um, as far as using Tampa Bay as the example and trading Chris Archer. I mean, they got blown away. Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows and Shane Bass, um, some highly talented arms and then getting Meadows in that deal. Um, that was a bad, I think that, that, was, that was a very ill-advised trade and, um, and Chris Archer had not been good in a couple of years. I think there's a caveat there too. Yeah. And, and when you compare Archer, Bauer, similar situations, you're not talking a top five player in the game. Um, I don't think Lindor gets traded at all this season at this point. I think that, as you said, that they are going to be, um, they're going to be within a game or two of at least the last wild card. I think they're going to run neck and neck for the division with the twins. The twins are going to put up some softball scores this year. That's going to be fun for the twins fans. Um, hopefully uh, their pitching doesn't work out for them. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, you know, I think the tribes uh, made a concerted effort to improve the offense bringing in Reyes last year in that trade. And then, sign in uh, Santana. you got to hope that some of these young guys, Luke Lowe and Mercado, can not only um, provide what they did last year, but it even exceed that some. You expect some growth and maturation from them. And, and who knows, maybe Bowers finally lives up to the uh, potential that he's shown with when he was with the Padres in the race. Yeah, that would be something. I'm, I'm kind of down on him, but he definitely was a top 100 prospect for a reason, and the Indians don't. Um, usually get fleeced in trades like that. And now that Diaz had a great year, but he had a good year. And so far that trade doesn't look great, but there's a lot of time. Um, you did mention too, before we started recording that the Indians signed Zach Weiss, who was a uh, minor league pitcher in the twin system, I think last year. 
Um, but it really just seems like you had said he's going to be triple A depth. I did see it on Twitter, but I did not look um, very deeply into his stats. I, I caught a game of him pitching uh, about two years ago. He throws mid nineties, 93, 94, 95 has a curve uh, slider and change uh, pitched at UCLA too. Um, in college, he was a sixth round pick of the Reds uh, several years ago. I don't recall. Um, but to me, it just strikes me as triple A depth. He had a cup of coffee with the Reds and, and his ERA is infinity, if that says how that went. So uh, not very well. <laughs> uh, I, I think he's just a depth arm. You bring to camp, you, you let him show what he's got. Maybe he makes some tweaks in triple A and, and shows enough to get a call up. But uh, I mean, he's still 27 years old, so he's he's relatively young. He's not past his prime per se. So, you know, but I'm not too excited about the signing. It's not a big deal. Um, I think he's just another depth arm. I want to see what some of the younger guys have. Uh, Dalbert Seary and Cam Hill, Jared Robinson, Kyle Nelson, of course, Clays and Krenchak. That that takes me into, you know, what am I looking for in spring training? I want to see how the bullpen shakes out. Uh, some of these high low arms, these guys would be bringing it. I uh, saw some video of Krenchak this, this afternoon and dropping in the curveball and then uh, running in a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. It's going to be a fun season if these guys are up and healthy. It's going to be a, a different-looking pen. I'm with you on, on the bullpen thing for sure. I'm looking forward to that. That video was fun. Ernie Clement's a guy, and I know pitchers are a little ahead of the hitters right now, and it was just batting practice, but Ernie Clement's a guy that makes a lot of contact, and it's the first day that Karinczak was thrown to live hitters, and uh, his curveball, I mean, his curveball made uh, uh, for, uh, Rob Freeman's uh, Pitching Ninja uh, Sword thing. I, I don't even know what to call it, but he he made uh, Ernie Clement look pretty bad on a swing with a curveball, and that, that says all you need to know about James Karinczak. And um, I'm hopeful that both he and Emmanuel Classe, Classe, I, I really don't know how you say it yet, but I'm hopeful that both of them make the bullpen out of the spring training because part of me thinks that one of them, just because of their youth and experience, is going to wind up back in AAA, and I could see it being Karinczak a little bit. Um, I read, I just read before we started recording that his fastballs were all over the place um, in spring training and in, in BP today, uh, according to Frank Kona. So there's already those comments, but I'm hopeful they're both in the bullpen because I think those two, combined with Brad Hand, I think Brad Hand will won't have the bad second half he did last year. Um, those two are going to be fun at the end. And I'm really interested to see how much time, I guess there won't be a lot of time for it, but, you know, I want to see Nick Sandlin. I want to see Kyle Nelson, Jared Robinson, Cam Hill. I want to see all those guys get work in spring training because I think that those are future bullpen guys for the Indians as soon as next year and some even this year. Um, so yeah, how the bullpen rolls go in spring training is really going to be fun to watch. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get a, a Tristan McKenzie start on TV or something. That'd be super fun to watch. <laughs> I, I really want to see him pitch in a major league game, at least in spring training and, um, you know, face some major league hitters. That's going to be really cool now that he's back and healthy by all accounts. And obviously the outfield, I'm really just interested to see how the outfield alignment goes and if, if Reyes's uh, drop weight does help him in the outfield or if his dedication does help him become a better defender and you can play him more than 80 games in the outfield this year if, if things go well. 
uh, looking forward to all that. Is there anything else you wanted to, to wrap up with, Willie? I, I think that's it for me. All right. Well, if you didn't already, obviously we mentioned the, the site issues or the, the house cleaning stuff about the site at the beginning of the podcast. The top 50 Indians prospect series is going on and scheduled. So that'll wrap up March 31st. I did actually plan it out to run through the 30th or the 31st just because I knew this was coming and uh, I wanted to make sure that we got this content out there before we kind of closed up shop at 24 seven sports because um, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we will get through all 50 of the top 50 prospect countdown. Um, by the time you're listening to this, the Indians player preview series will have started as well. I already have a handful of reports written. So you're going to see some interesting, uh, I think they're interesting. I wrote them, so I'm kind of biased, but uh, I did write the profiles on a bunch of guys uh, I can't remember who's running today off the top of my head without looking at it. Um, but you'll see those every day. I think I got 36 of them in the bank. Uh, I didn't do any of the prospects who haven't um, played in the majors yet. So I obviously I'm not going to write about Daniel Johnson, Tristan McKenzie, because we're writing them up for the prospect series. So we're not going to write on them um, up for Gideon's preview, but uh, guys like Logan Allen and uh, some other guys uh, who are rookies, I guess, technically, uh, Christian Arroyo, I forget who are still rookies, but they'll be on the list as well. So I'll be on the lookout for that. Um, Will, you got anything in the pipeline that you're writing or anything you want to promote at the, in the meantime? No, just working on that. Uh, the top 50 prospects going to get some of these coming your way soon. Uh, look forward to getting them up and, and getting them done a little bit more in depth than what I'm used to. I put a lot of my notes down on on a, a pad and now I'm actually typing them up and trying to make sense of them for, for others to read. Um, a lot of people don't see the nonsense that I write down, you know, so I, I'm trying to put this out where it's legible and somebody else can understand it. Uh, I look forward to having that opportunity. Uh, Bobby Bradley be the first one that I have that comes up. Um, I know uh, Carlos Vargas is after that. Uh, uh, George Valera and Daniel Espino at some point, they will be, uh, as we count down, uh, looking forward to writing about some of my favorite prospects coming up and uh, just having that opportunity too. Uh, once again, thanks for the opportunity uh, to talk with you tonight. Yeah, well, we're definitely looking forward to uh, seeing what you write up, joining in on the prospect series, uh, stepping in there. And yeah, thanks for joining in that. You can follow uh, Willie at, at under, or W-I-L-L-H-O-O-9-9 uh, on Twitter. So definitely give him a follow. He's got a lot of things to say about prospects and how you've been doing your own kind of countdown um in the meantime as well and always posting really good stuff whether it's draft stuff indian stuff or prospect stuff always good stuff in the timeline there so if you want some baseball talk and you're interested in prospects as well as uh draft stuff definitely a good follow because college baseball did just start this week um i know i was looking at some stuff earlier there's a lot of interesting college baseball stuff out this year and i'm really interested in this year's draft class and you should be because it looks like it's going to be a good draft class so definitely follow will and you can quality follow draft class this year what's that uh, quality draft class this year and the tribe has four picks in the top uh 100 uh, i've already been deep diving into that and i've uh, identified about 70 players that i think uh type as the indians type of players um looking at that and then um also 
Uh, as you said, college baseball started this weekend and a little bit of uh, high school baseball started out in Florida and I think California as well. They're fired up and going already too. So uh, I'm always tweeting about baseball. <laughs> I, I stick basically to baseball usually. So uh, my, my uh, timeline is fairly safe. If you're just a baseball fan, it's usually about baseball. <laughs> yeah, definitely one of the better followers on Twitter in terms of baseball, without a doubt. You can follow me at JL underscore baseball. Um, I usually do stick to baseball, but I do say some other things, but mostly it's been baseball lately. And uh, uh, I might throw some hockey in there. I am going to Pittsburgh on Saturday to see a Penguins and uh, Sabres game. I actually kind of grew up a Penguins fan before I was a Blue Jackets fan. So I'm um, getting to see my first game at PPG Paints Arena. So I'm looking forward to taking a trip into Pittsburgh. I know that's not always allowed in you know, Cleveland, but Pittsburgh's a really uh, cool city. I love PNC Park, and I'm really excited to take a trip out there and, and kind of get away before baseball starts. The Indians actually play Saturday, I just realized, too. So uh, I, I'm guessing I'm going to DVR that game. All right. Well, I think uh, we've covered everything. So let's get out of here before uh, anybody else stops listening. I know we've gone pretty long as it is. So thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll try to get some other updates out about the site if we come across any. I know I've talked to Tony multiple times this week about um, just what another IBI site would look like and, and, and what would be involved. And uh, there is a chance that happens, but it's going to depend on who's around for that and uh, you know, we did decide to announce it this weekend to give all the writers who've been at IBI um, some time to look for other places to write. So that way, if, if things do happen or don't happen come April 1st, um, you know, that everybody else may have a home to, to write that deserve it. And that includes Will and includes everybody else that's, that's been writing for IBI as well. So uh, we'll probably have another podcast, um, I'd imagine, before the end of March. Um, maybe a couple, I hope. Um, hopefully they're all good ones. Hopefully there's no injuries. Maybe we'll talk about a Francisco Lindor <laughs> contract extension, although I'm not getting my hopes up on that one. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely get back together. And, and Will, if you're interested in another podcast, I, I liked how this went. I think we'll, I'm interested in doing another one if you are. And, and obviously you and I both have a lot of writing to do in the meantime as well. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of work ahead, but uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. Um, i uh, disappointed to hear IBI is dropping off of 24-7 sports, but, you know, um, hey, maybe this represents a new opportunity for Tony and, and this entire team. You know, I'll stick around. I don't have plans on going anywhere, so I'll be happy to contribute in whatever way I can, uh, as much as I can. Um, but uh, as you said, the Tribe's playing this weekend. I'll I'll tie up in that. And uh, as far as any further podcasts go, I'd be happy to join in when I can. So. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Thanks for all the loyal support over the years for everybody. And uh, we will talk to you again soon and uh, enjoy baseball this weekend.